1: beautiful afternoon for a good game of football now, and it looks as though we have the makings of it. Barnes has come in, oh, a fine goal by Tom Barnes. That's the beauty. Absolutely emphatic. And
2: Jay to Oh,
1: yes, Luther Blissett. That's a spectacular goal. And Helgeson comes in first.
2: Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast, my name's Tom Bodell and I'm joined today by Jordan Weimer. there's no Matt, he's serving a two match ban as pretty much all of our players seem, soon will be. Um, Jordan, how are you? How was your weekend?
3: Yeah, doing very well, um, a little change of pace and uh, and obviously watching the Super Bowl last night which we won't get mm. into but um, good to uh, talk about Watford again. Yeah, absolutely. And I yourself?
2: Yeah, good mate. I was adamant I was going to watch the Super Bowl and it got to about nine o'clock and I realised I was so tired I probably wasn't going to make kickoff, which was at half eleven UK time. Uh, so I went mm. to bed and immediately regretted it this morning when I saw that it had been a bit of a ding-dong gone all the way to overtime. So we'll, uh, we'll avoid any overtime here and get straight into our own ding-dong. Um, d- did this actually go a little bit better than expected? A lot of the kind of vibes i suppose coming out of of this one have been pretty positive
3: yeah you know i think i think we we talked about in the last episode didn't we you know this is the sort of game where we talked about how the waveform has looked in 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 regards to um you know how we play often we can be that that more counter-attacking side obviously not the same option at home as often this was a game that kind of allowed us to do that and yeah there were some positives you now i think it, it wasn't the cleanest version of that we obviously made some mistakes and uh, and we got punished for it against a good team but you know i think leicester weren't they weren't at their best um and, and we did some things well and and some things not so well so it was it was a kind of a close game bit of a weird game actually mm. i'd say
2: yeah, it definitely was. Did, did we show them a little bit too much respect, perhaps, in the first half? It, it certainly felt like we weren't, um, you know, getting kind of into them and, and allowing them to play their football, which was much improved in the in the second half.
3: Yeah, I think we did. Um, I, I think we did a little bit. We 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 took a little bit of a little bit too long to get going. Um, we weren't quite as sharp as we often are um, in those situations. I think the, I think, the, well, I mean, like, I think the first, the first minute was really good, wasn't it? We kind of could see the application there from, from yeah. the kickoff. That was really positive. But Bayo going off after two minutes, it kind of reset that that tone a little bit, and we we kind of had to start again. And you know, Bayo going off so early was a big a big blow to us, and it, it did it did change the game plan somewhat. We still. We still did win well areas, but I think we, we we were quite we were lacking that option in the forward position once he went. So it was, um, yeah, it, it was a little bit of too much respect, and also just a, a, such a quick change in the game plan. I think didn't help either.
2: Yeah, let's talk about the Bayo injury then. I was say it was so early, and I think the, the point was made elsewhere. I can't remember what podcast what I was listening on, but Ismails selected Bayo. Presumably, all the kind of build up in the week has been with him starting. How much of a, you know, rapid um, redrawing of the plans is that when you lose him so early on, and not just that, but for Ravitch, who we know is you know completely different type of forward and does completely different things.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, this is one of the problems, isn't it? We talk about recruitment a lot on this podcast, obviously, <laughs> just, but you know, one of the, one of the issues if you if you're bringing in strikers and building a squad that you know sometimes variety is useful. You want to have different options at, at times, of course, but. You know, from from the, the, a tactical standpoint as well, if you don't have players that can replicate elements or, or of that that sort of output, you know, we talk about buyer with we're thinking about that work off the ball, um, the pressure that he can create on, on opposition defence, as, as well as giving you that flexibility in the forward positions, he can get a little bit wider, he can chase things down somewhat, he's got something to contribute within the link up play, the build up play too. So losing that so quickly, it does make a big difference because, you know, Rajevic is, is, of course, a much different player. Um, he, he changes that game plan quite significantly. So, you know, I was a little bit surprised that we we didn't see a different change. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised we didn't just go for Dennis a little bit earlier. You know, I know he's talked about him being a, an option from the left, but just to just to allow you something um, a little closer to, to what bio could offer in terms of that mobility and that, that flexibility. You know, when you haven't got the ball much, um, against Leicester they they do try and draw you into those traps and having some mobility in that forward position that, that central forward position in particular um, with how he, he can apply pressure to the goalkeeper and so on it, it's quite a big asset and, and quite a, a big element when it comes to to game planning against a team like Leicester so quite a big blow uh, bigger than maybe it seemed at first perhaps
2: I think given who we were playing and obviously we know how they play we got you know first-hand kind of sort of first hand how good they can be and how effective they can be playing that way in all the planning and preparation and kind of tactical side of things i think raivich is probably just about the worst fit for the sort of striking need there right the amount of times in that first half particularly we sort of saw him making a very very i don't want to say half-hearted but let's go with labored effort to kind of um close the passing lanes off to press the Center halves, etc., jumping ahead a little bit, I don't think we'd have seen us score the goal that we did eventually score, albeit it was kind of their error rather than our creation. Um, had he still been on the field at that time, is is that fair to say in, in terms of kind of the, the the pressing that we get from Dennis versus raivich
3: It definitely is, yeah. Um, you know, but it, it, it 100% is, there's no, there's no kind of getting around that. It, it does play a big part in 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 your attack you know especially when you're playing as a top team like that a significant portion of your your threat is most likely going to come from mistakes or capitalizing on mistakes or causing disruption and then subsequently kind of you know capitalizing on that too and you need to have someone that can that can get in those positions and you know, Rav, Ravic is just, uh, unfortunately, he's not a, he's not really a dynamic athlete. He's not a particularly good athlete, and it, it makes it hard. Um, it makes it hard in the team that's not finding it easy to create good quality or consistently high amount of chances in the game. So this one in particular, as you say, I think it was kind of worst case scenario, bad fit for him. Mm-hmm. um but yeah dennis gave you that and i think his, his spark off, off the bench i think was really really positive and you know that's two games in a row now where i'd say that he's he's made a big impact and he's come on and been introduced um you know this one obviously we got to see him in a slightly different role um which, which is is good to see um but yeah it, it was a it was a tough one for for Milito up front
2: mm-hmm. i don't really want to talk about him anymore because it kind of i think it would There's not a lot to add to the debate at this stage, but we obviously know that Bayo is going to be out for at least a couple of weeks. It's Monday afternoon and and Val has done his pre-Norwich press conference and said as much. So it now seems to be a straight choice between Raivic or an as-yet undetermined alternative. What would you do in the coming games, not necessarily Norwich specifically? What do we expect Val to do?
3: well you know i think we expect ravich don't we um the, the fact that he was the one so. that was brought in yeah so i i think you expect that um which I, is not ideal um you know i think ultimately for me i i just i i see dennis as a, as a central option i understand you can use him from the left i think he could be effective from the wide positions but he offers you a lot essentially I, I i wouldn't be opposed to using him there if he's fit enough to play which I, I think he is fit enough to start a game and if he has to come off a little early, that's fine. But um, yeah, I'd want to introduce him from the beginning. So I think he could do something different. You look at the fixtures we've got coming up, you know, Norwich, I, I, I think Norwich is, 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 more important to use Dennis. You know, we, we, we're going to be playing in a similar manner. We might have a bit more of the ball, but there are going to be times we are going to be a little bit deeper and we can spring those counter attacks. That's where you want that fluidity in that forward position. Rajevic is, Issue. I mean, if you're if you're if you're uh, an opponent playing against Watford with with up front, you've got no real hesitation with playing quite a high line, Um, especially when you're at home. He's not going to cause you too much threat. We've obviously got some some danger from the wings there, but you know the fullbacks are always going to kind of fancy their their chances against the winger. I, I don't feel that we're particularly threatening, or we encourage the opponent to play quite high. And, you know, Norwich will, will be quite comfortable to do that at home. And that, that gives me cause for concern. I just don't really think we're going to have too much joy there. So, you know, someone like Dennis just gives you a lot more to respect for the, um, for the opponent. And I think it'll give us a better chance. But it, it does seem, does feel anyway, that we'll be, we'll be going for um, for the Raivic plan. Is that is that what you're kind of thinking too? Yeah,
2: I think so. Which leads me into my next kind of point is we've seen, if nothing else with Ismail. I think he's quite consistent. And he kind of sticks to his guns, sticks to his principles on a lot of things. Obviously, in terms of Dennis, he's been very clear from the word go that he needs to get fit. Obviously, left him behind for the Southampton game, as you said. He said he's seen him as a left winger. Do we think he will alter how he views that now in the in the next couple of weeks, and and for the rest of the season, I suppose as well, given how he's how Dennis has done there in the last uh, in the last game or so or is he going to stick to, you know, die on that hill, so to speak, that he is a, a left-sided forward?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'd be a little bit confused if he did die on that hill in some ways as to why. You know, I, I don't. I think we can all see the, the impact he made and how he can be affected there. You know, we've all seen firsthand how he can be effective in central positions too. Um, you know, maybe he's a little bit more chaotic and maybe lacks a little bit of discipline in, in regards to the timing of his pressure and so on. Maybe that's kind of an, an element or an area to his game. He kind of feels like it's maybe too much responsibility for him. I'm not sure. But, you know, we're in a pretty unique circumstance. Two very different options got. up front. Um, and, you know, one, probably the favorite option in that central position, just for kind of what he adds in, in, in the kind of defensive role, but also in... Now he presses and the the movement he has in in Bayo with him being out, we we kind of find ourselves in a tough spot. So you you kind of got to think outside the box. Even if you have got him pigeonholed as that left sided forward, you know him coming off the bench gives me some. Him coming off the bench into a central position gives me some hope that we at least uh, might look down that 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 possibility of of using him there Mm -hmm. at a time where it really feels like you know we've got this we've got this asset on the books. We've we've brought him in to help. This is exactly the sort of situation you bring him into uh, in for you gotta use him. Um, and I I don't I'm not confident it will happen against Norwich, but I think no. sooner rather than later it's gonna be um, it's gonna be necessary.
2: No, and this Mel has said as much, didn't he, straight off Saturday that um, he wouldn't be wouldn't be starting on, on Tuesday regardless of the position. Just with your sort of strength and conditioning and your kind of professional hat on, what what if any is the difference to Dennis between starting and coming off at halftime early in the second half or kind of coming on in the second half is there anything from a kind of physiological perspective or or what you know in in layman's terms could it be done if we're still waiting i think
3: yeah i think you you can for sure i mean in terms of I, i i think the the difference is when you introduce a player obviously later on in the game you know you know the minutes they're going to be given. You know, you know how long's the end of the game. You might have a bit more of a a feeling of where the game is, of you know, kind of what his role is going to be. It might vary depending on the the score of the game or how the game's flowing at that particular point. You might just feel more. You might feel it's more a more controlled environment. You know, if you start him, you might have a couple of injuries, and suddenly you might have to leave him on for longer than you originally planned. So. It is, I guess, easier um, to to do it that way. That's generally why it's done that way, as opposed to starting him and, and kind of planning mm-hmm. to bring him off. But again, this is a pretty unique situation with with Finn in this position, and it, it could be it could be a match winning situation for him to start the game. So uh, I, I think they will there's there's a, there's a reasoning behind it. The counter to that, what I'd say in regards to why I think it won't happen too, obviously, you know, he's already said it won't happen. But another reason is we, we do want to generally make those attacking subs late on. And that is what we do. You know, we saw it in the game uh, the weekend too uh, against Leicester with uh, Aspria, Dennis, and Andrews all coming on together. That is something we, we, we definitely like to do, um, uh, kind of apply that pressure a little bit later on. Maybe he just feels that we, we will capitalise from that that energy, that burst at a later phase of the game rather than starting off with it, the game opens up a little bit more towards the end and we bring on Radovic who's not really going to give that that kind of physical performance we need in terms of stretching play and and kind of chasing down um, what will be a little bit more of a fatigued back line mm. of Norwich. So, yeah, I think that's probably the reasoning. But from, you know, from a... a from an athletic standpoint, he, he should be able to start the game. And honestly, most likely, he's going to be pretty close to, to playing a 490 at this stage, just from what I've seen on him, um, his appearances off the bench at least.
2: Oh, well, fingers crossed. Um, moving on, immediately after, or virtually off, straight after the the bio sub, we saw the penalty award that gave Leicester the lead. Pats and Dakar sticking that one away. Um I was watching at home. The rookery and those in the ground certainly felt it wasn't a pen. I felt it was a stone wall pen, even if it was soft in the kind of modern context of football, we couldn't have any arguments. Where did you stand?
3: A bit in between, really. I think I could have been but it was it was soft. It was soft. Um it was soft, but there was enough there. You know, on for me it's not even the, the i don't really have too much of a of a complaint i think the thing that really overshadows it for me is just the build up to that um the, the the play the the defensive work of the team the structure is kind of all over the place and yeah you know um we are in danger of repeating ourselves too often but the is run out in the in the build-up and <laughs> it, it you know leaves things stretched georgie shaft attacks is having to drop in as well to to help and you know you, you end up in a in a situation where he's making tackle in a tackle in, in a bad place of the, of the field or the pitch to do so and yeah, it's, it's an issue. So, really frustrating. Um, it's the last thing we needed and, you know, it, 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 did, it did kind of take the wind out of us a bit. But, yeah.
2: On Porteous, he is the one that's kind of left trailing Ricardo Pereira for the second goal um, and had kind of played his part in the, in the build-up so to speak as, as well. He and Hoot are now both on nine bookings. They're both therefore a booking away from two-game bans. How much of a, a worry is that? Maybe more for one than the other. What particularly do we do when Hoot inevitably gets that tenth yellow card and we're missing our only left-footed centre half for two games?
3: Well, that's going to be a tough one. You know, this we took a lot of risk with our centre backs in this game, and look, I give I give Porteous a lot of a fair amount of, of of stick in 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 regards to kind of what he what he's been doing on the pitch recently this one this one in particular i will say is, is quite heavily on the coach for me just because we 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 did make a very calculated decision to be aggressive with our center backs in terms of where they're pushing up nice and high trying to get close to the midfielders of leicester and, and really stop their build up from the back you know, the 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 long kind of the play from goal from them is so so crucial they invite that pressure and Mm. it wasn't a bad plan to try and disrupt it the way we did but it is really kind of playing with fire and you know bookings are going to come in that situation too so that's another another element um to consider there you know we can we can talk about portuguese he may have the license to do so we can talk about decision making as a as a separate thing in terms of when he actually decides to engage in that press and and go for it but you know losing losing who is obviously an issue um he, he does offer a lot to us offensively or in, in build up, in possession. And I think defensively he's been pretty good in recent weeks too. He's kind of been on a decent little run of form. It would disrupt things quite heavily. And, you know, we, we definitely see a slight change in, a, in, in the way we operate. If we were to have to kind of draft in, you know, potential back, we might see a back line of Serie and Pollock in that, in that central position. They're both yeah. together for the first time as well, even so it, it could change quite a lot, but, yeah it's it is a tough one and again we're kind of looking at these areas of the squad once more you know looking at all all areas of the pitch really there are some some depth issues which we've you know we talked about quite heavily since January and it's already come in to show um how much of a problem it can be.
2: Mm, yes isn't that our chickens coming home to roost at both ends of <laughs> the field somewhat. Um sticking with the defense Tom Delibashiru, Bashiru uh, right back I think I certainly and I suspect I wasn't alone had my concerns going up against a rampant Leicester team but this actually felt like one of his best games at, at right back for me certainly didn't seem like they were kind of overrunning him down uh, down that side and, and if anything I felt like uh, Fatou on the, the opposing side going at Jamal Lewis was, was kind of more of a threat on the day what, what did you make of him on the day
3: yeah no I agree actually I think he looked okay um Again, you know, I think we, he didn't invite. I think where we look, where he looks in danger is is that space behind him. You know, he's he he can he can move. He's, he's not he's not a slow player. He doesn't lack mobility, but he's just got that little bit of timing or kind of be a little bit over eager to to step in. And you know, when, when we've seen him punished most has been when that that ball's kind of been slipped in behind him. He's having to kind of fight back to to get into position, and it, it can cause us some issues. But this one, I think he was quite compact. He was maybe a little bit more cautious in, in terms of his positioning. And he didn't look too bad. Um, There were a few occasions as well where he was able to get into those central positions and
0: become an option in field.
1: Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
3: You know, build up in, in terms of um, moving the ball through that back line. He was able to play in that inverted way on, on occasion, which we've not seen as much recently, but he's someone that obviously does benefit from that, that type of role. Um, it, it was a good game for him, and you know, obviously, there's a lot of criticism I've seen as well, and some some hesitancy about about that change, which seemingly just needed to happen from a fitness standpoint. But I think he held his own.
2: Me too. I was uh, I was suitably impressed, and that was one of my biggest worries going into it. Someone else who caught the eye and, and continues, I think, to just catch the eye. It has had a couple of quiet weeks, but Ismail Kone again probably the standout from a Watford perspective, what did you make of him and and, and what's been the, the difference now? We, he's been here kind of a year after arriving last year, a lot of kind of football after not playing a huge amount of football prior to arriving. What have you kind of seen in him to to really bookmark that improvement over the last twelve months?
3: I think uh, no, I think with I think with kinda we're really seeing the something we've not really got to see at Watford too much in, in the last few, well, decade or so really has just been players that have, have been able to be slowly introduced and, and find their feet you know there's a lot of immediacy with with being a Watford head coach you're generally going to fall back to the the tried and tested or the, the kind of more senior players that you kind of know what you're getting Kone there's a little bit of you had to have, give a little bit of room we, we saw some flashes under Wilder you know there's some trust there and we saw him play quite well when he was using that kind of wider position as well um, under Wilder last year. Now I think we're just starting to see that confidence build and I, I, I feel that he has he has more faith that he's going to be rewarded for his performance. That he's going to get those minutes to, to, to open up a little bit. Um, to, to play with more confidence. You know, he was very cagey, I'd say, at first, I mean, mm-hmm. in his kind of bad spells, his bad patches at Watford last season. It felt like he was nervous and, and thinking a little bit too much, or, you know, kind of he, he just wasn't really playing naturally and with any sort of freedom. Not to say that he hasn't got discipline in his game now, but he looks much more composed, much more comfortable. He's, he's opening up, he's taking runs, he's playing the ball into areas that he wouldn't be playing before with ease now, it looks like. like and he just looks much smoother. Um, and much more like kind of what we see for the national team uh, and also what we saw in the MLS as well you know very raw there but you could see that as part of his game there, there's, some, there's some creativity there and some kind of he can be dynamic he can be an offensive threat he can be really rangy the way he carries the ball up the field and we just started to see a little bit more of what Ismail Kone actually is as opposed to where he was trying to do what he thought was needed um mm-hmm. at the time under the lights of Bilic and so on It just didn't didn't quite click um, yeah. But, you know, yeah, really good. Um, really, really good. And he's become quite a key component now, hasn't he?
2: No, certainly has. It's that ball carrying for me. I, th- I can't remember a lot. And to be honest, we've now kind of got two of them in that, or if not necessarily carrying great distance, but being able to get out of trouble with it and just, you know, beat a man. Yeah. Him and Chakvatadze, it feels like forever since we've had one, and, and now I feel like we've got two, certainly in those central areas when, when Chakvatadze can play plays mm-hmm. there again so yeah no it's it's really quite a another one who's had i don't want to say a redemption story because he's a youngster who's not played much football and you know really hadn't been here very long but it, you know someone that has kind of overcome a bit of an inauspicious start let's put it that way is, is really rather yeah. catching the eye now I, on a I... weekly basis
3: I'd say if you've got the access to do so, go and, go and have a look at some of his clips for us last year and just look at his, look at a few of the actions in the same sorts of positions, you know, in that mm-hmm. kind of, in, in that, around the center circle, in those deeper areas where he's picking up the ball, even just his body language, he's much, much, up, much tighter, a um, little bit hesitant with, with kind of everything he's doing and compare that to now where he's much more aware of the space around him, you know, part of this is also a system thing, he's he's comfortable in the, in the, in the system we're playing too, he knows his role very well. Um, but the, the way he just kind of opens his body up and just is, he, he's aware of what's around him, he'll take the touch and he'll drive into that space, and it, 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 he kind of glides across the pitch as well. And it's really good to see. And yeah, I'm I'm, I'm very pleased with uh, with what we've done with him because there was there was a little bit of time there where it felt like we were kind of wasting a few of those those assets. You know, a, a big part of our our structure, our business model, if if you will, is to is to bring in these players and and somewhat nurture them. We've not really been a great environment for doing so in recent years, but. This is, a, this is a real example of how it can be done, and he's looking much more kind of like what we hoped Kone was going to be. So, yeah, really, really positive.
2: Well, that leads us on actually quite nicely to the first of a couple of questions that we've had in, and, and I've got to apologise firstly to Tim and Matt who sent these in. They kind of got lost in our favourites um, at the beginning of the month, so they're probably an episode later than they should have been. But Tim... Walklate asks, what does the lack of transfer activity this January tell us about the state of the club's finances? And is there anyone realistically from the academy that could make it into the first team? The reason I ask this is, of course, because I think after seeing the accounts come out recently, it's very clear how reliant we are on player trading. And perhaps Ismail Kone is going to be one of the next assets that has to be moved on for a decent fee. So... Jordan, what did you make of that lack of business in January? It was just the one senior arrival in Emmanuel Dennis. What does that tell us about the club's financial
3: state? You know, I, I think it says more about uh, rather than, you know, we, we kind of know, as you said, that the financial state is very dependent on player trading ingoings, or oh, sorry, incomings in terms of the, that kind of potential future sale. Uh, and then capitalising on that when you can. I, I don't think we were ever going to be big spenders in the window, but it, it says more, a lot more, to me about just the planning or lack of um, the fact that we even had to address such such major or kind of relatively large issues in January says a lot about the, the kind of squad building that we've gone through. Um, the fact that we didn't address it says even more. So, yeah, I, I, I worry about this more from a from a planning standpoint and approach than I do from from having the um, the ability to actually operate in the market we're going to be somewhat limited there are lots of teams that are limited that, that find a way to build build squads and you know potentially even more limitations than we have um, the fact that we were trying to do some business on deadline day you know we were trying to bring a player in for a fee and trying to bring one in on on loan you know that doesn't have to be deadline day it doesn't have to be the last thing it's one thing deals breaking down in the last minute when you're trying to get a deal over the line when it's it's been a long drawn out negotiation or you're making an extra addition at the last minute. These these are areas that we really need to address six months ago. So it is concerning, but I'm not sure we learned anything about the budget in this in this window. Do you, Tom?
2: No, not particularly. And this kind of marries up nicely with the the financial accounts coming out in the last week. I think there was nothing particularly surprising in there. We are still, as we know, very much reliant on raising money by selling players the fact that we posted a trading profit was predicated purely on player sales and largely on getting Jao Pedro sold before the end of last season which contributed quite a bit I think particularly because it was a cash heavily kind of cash incentivized deal and I think that's going to be probably something that said it on Twitter and I suspect we'll see it again this, uh, this kind of between the season ending and before June 30th, again, I suspect we're going to see at least one go in that time so that we can, uh, we can book that. Um, The other question we got in was from Matt Gom 82. I never know Matt, if it's Matt Gom or if it's Matt something else. how to say your surname essentially, mate. Um, But he asks, you requested more questions on the last pod. What would you prefer? A recruitment team in place that signs players and gives them to the coach where he has no input or a system where a coach is a large part of the process and has the final say, which I suppose is a bit of both is what we have at the moment in that Ishmael, at least on the face of it, has been given more say in the recruitment, if not the final say, than any other head
3: coach in the the Potso era. Mm -hmm. Do you you have an opinion on that one first, Tom?
2: Yeah, my... um, utopia i suppose in this is that they should have a a large part of the say they should be a voice in that room if you get all the people together that contribute to that recruitment process and they absolutely should be a voice in the room and they absolutely should get to veto someone if it's a case of well if you sign that player i'm just out of spite not going to use them i really don't rate them i'm not going to use them then yes you, you know deserve the, the the right of veto the power of veto but i don't think they should be allowed free reign to say, you know, I want this player, that player and the other uh, as well. It's There is a happy medium to be found. I think the kind of noises coming out of the club suggest that at least that is what they want us to believe we have at the moment. Ismail obviously has been quite vocal on the recruitment side of things, I think, hasn't he, said... You know, in the summer, no to Dennis, and this was why it has talked about why Dennis has come in now. Has talked about the fact, as you said, we were talking about about trying to sign a centre back and a midfielder on deadline day, and there have been kind of various other um, things as well. I suppose my big issue, and this isn't something that Matt has asked, is that I still don't, I still refuse to believe, and the Dennis deal speaks to this, that the owner isn't getting heavily involved in, or fairly heavily involved in certain deals at least, uh, when it comes to it, despite having uh, Gianluca Nani, a head of recruitment, is it Graham Younger, the head of recruitment? Domestic recruitment. Domestic recruitment and, you know, presumably scouts and other other voices in the room as well. So I guess we'll never know because we don't have um, the kind of uh, org chart detail that we were looking for. Um, leave that one hanging, but it feels a little bit of a hodgepodge at the moment mm-hmm. and neither here nor there.
3: Yeah, no, I get And I think for, for me, you know, I, in terms of what I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather personally with the department that gives the players to the coach only because there's context. You know, it, it, a blend is better, but it, it depends on how you blend it. You know, I think in my opinion... Generally, the best the, the the best teams often have to have a close relationship with the manager. But this this starts from the appointment of the manager. You know, it starts from your you recruit. Your your manager should be based around your recruitment team rather than vice versa. The, the recruitment team are the, are the guys that are meant to keep the continuity of the squad building. Um, and in doing so, you have to you have to keep that continuity with the type of coach you're you're bringing in so ideally these guys are able to plan for um for a certain style of football a certain approach and and have that long-term you know, kind of succession based on replacement replacing the current members of the squad you know this has all got to be these contingencies have to be in place long beforehand um and when it comes to kind of incorporating the manager in the actual recruitment itself you want to be able to if you have a good relationship with the manager a good understanding of what he needs it should be clear what what sort of players what areas need to address and, and, and kind of how you're targeting these, these players to bring in you can then show him that for sure obviously uh, you know put, put a few packages together and allow him to see um, kind of what you're recommending what you've what you've identified and of course incorporate him there but you know a good recruitment team is, is not going to have too much trouble finding players the coach will like. The, the issue for me comes to or comes from when you ask a coach to be heavily involved in recruitment, you're just adding another, another element to his job, which requires an ex- extreme amount of attention, especially when you, you, you want to do it right. So mm-hmm. if you are asking him to be heavily involved, um, so far as to even identify players or recommend players, and I think you are doing a bit of a disservice to the process of recruiting a player, um and maybe not giving it the required effort and energy that it needs because you, you you're kind of too dependent on on that voice mm-hmm. so for me i'd like to see i'd like to see the recruitment team do their job well in terms of finding a player that suits what this coach is doing what the team needs going forward and all the parameters they have to work within Um to do that obviously you need to have uh, a good leadership structure above them and, and kind of provide that direction have just good Good work, good working kind of um, a good working relationship with all departments to, to facilitate that. So I don't think we have that right now. So I think that's kind of what leads us to that shot in the dark or kind of shotgun approach. Um, but that is the that is the goal. That is the kind of that you would hope at least that is the goal. The um, the end point would be something along those lines.
2: They've certainly said as much in the future. In, in the future, that'd be impressive. In the past, haven't they? I'm, I'm going back a while here, but I can you know I can certainly remember. Duxbury saying either on Five Live or in his program notes, you know the, the ideal situation, the idea behind the, the the way we operate, is that the kind of head coach slots into the existing structure, so there's not kind of great upheaval. So that means a lot of the staff stay the same. Yeah. The recruitment is kind of done agnostic of the coach. But I think I think everything you've just said is is absolutely right as well. And, and um, well, yeah. I think the it's fair to say we've not
3: found that happy medium yeah. have that sweet spot yeah have yeah. we well there's, there's not the, there's not the pulling together of um kind of of approach in, in in the sense that you've got you know a director you've got the gioretta mm. the narnies the gioretta's the the Pozzos, the the graham young all these guys that are kind of having their own they're, they're not one unified they're not one unified viewpoint or approach you know they're all they're all finding players they it, it's all very fragmented and you know, we we talk about Ben Manga, you, We can't really judge him positively or negatively. He wasn't here long enough to really fully do so, and at least fairly, anyway. But at least we had some level of cohesion, whether it be good or bad. We could have found something out. But right now, it's it's a little bit of a mess. So um, I won't be confident in that side of the of, of the team of of the of the club until um, until we get some change there.
2: Mm, no, absolutely. Final couple of things. Then we saw in. Uh, over the weekend, I think it was, or just prior to the weekend, that Jeremy and has agreed. Yet to be announced, of course. I'm sure it'll be announced in the time uh, between now and the pod going live that he has agreed a four year contract extension. How do we feel about that one?
3: Ooh, strange one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, like I think I, I kind of said this on Twitter too, but I think yeah, you know, reward your squad players. You need to find ways to keep depth around, keep players around. Um, and uh, and try and again keep that continuity in terms of the squad, but Jeremy Ngaki is someone that he, he's just not really met the levels that we felt and needed. I think we've seen some flashes of positivity this season. I think Ismail does like elements about him, and I was surprised by him. Like he he surprised me a couple of times with his performances this year. We have seen a few though that that were still kind of what we'd seen previously. You know, I think there's some limitations there. The biggest thing for me um the biggest thing for me is how many games he misses and i would be hesitant to offer that length of a contract to someone that struggles to be available um it makes it really hard to prepare when you have that that potential for long stretches of unavailability obviously it's always there on any player but particularly one that has a longer history of it and he's not a you know he's not a senior vet he's a he's a younger guy still relatively speaking and it's a bit of a concern. I, I don't really like investing that capital in someone that, that might not be there. And that's that's my biggest issue with it. What about what about you, Tom?
2: Yeah, i absolutely just blown away. I think, to be honest, when I saw it, I was a little bit behind the times. Uh, I don't think I saw it until kind of the next morning, which, yeah, it knocked my socks off to honest, And you think at this stage, not many things would kind of blow bowl you over like that when it comes to Watford. But of all the players, I suppose... He seemed like one of the least likely, and yet someone, I think, replied to us on Twitter pointing out that Darryan Matt was given a new deal about eight months before we released him by mutual consent, having barely played because he was injured. So probably nothing should come as a surprise anymore, but I thought this would probably be the end of Ngakia, and it seems to me like one where they've looked at it and gone, you know, he's cheap-ish. I can't imagine he's on a commands a huge salary. He's homegrown, and... Um, probably a fairly kinda doesn't take doesn't take up too much of the manager's time, you know, fairly kinda low maintenance guy to have around the place, but I think in a in a squad that's already thin and, and you know, best ability is availability kind of attitude, he
3: is um, yeah, probably doesn't tick that box. So I really thought this would be the breaking point for that yeah. experiment, but yeah, you know, maybe not
2: Big time. Final, final, final thing. We, we don't need to talk about this is the accounts were released in the last week. If you want decent bit of analysis of that, I would always point you towards Kieran Maguire on Twitter who does the Price of Football podcast. He's at Kieran Maguire and he's kind of analysed that, broken that down really nicely in terms of the standing. Or have a listen to uh, the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes Pod, where they broke it down. There are there's quite a few interesting little bits and bobs in there, but perhaps the most one, most interesting one, to me was the fact that we somehow owe Udinese 19 million pounds when all we've done is send them players in the last few years. So that's
3: not depressing at all. Uh, Jordan, anything you want to say before we sign off for this week? Um, no you know, I think I think uh, no, I think we're probably good obviously we've got the Norwich game on, on Tuesday coming quick so we'll be back with another podcast most likely pretty soon after that one as well um, yeah we covered all the bases I think
2: excellent well thank you very much for listening if you haven't already make sure you're subscribed give us a review on Apple it really does help in terms of the algorithm and people being able to find us you can follow us on Twitter at Watford pod it's at Jordan Weimer at TB Bodell and at Messi Messiano I'm sure you've got us all already in the meantime take it easy and we'll speak to you after the Norwich game see you then (laughs) Bosh